This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. to not eat food. Now, I know in the 21st century, we fast all kinds of things. Like this morning when I got up, I deleted Instagram (laughs) because it was taking over my life, everyone. (laughs) And I'm confessing this to you right now. So I'm going to fast food. Um, Our our family always does a Daniel diet at this time. And that means we just don't eat meat for two weeks and no processed foods. So we put the pizza pockets away for two weeks. Um... But we we actually understand that something, Jesus said this in the Gospels, he said that some things only come by prayer and fasting. So there are some things that you're believing for in your life right now, feel like you're at like a, feels like the the ceiling is like glass and you can't get through it. I I would just encourage you uh, to pray and fast with us fast with us over these next two weeks. The reason we do it together, I mean, there are times in our lives where we fast by ourselves, but there's something good about learning something with people. Yes, when you don't know a skill and you learn it with a whole bunch of people that also don't know a skill, it's a lot better, right? Remember when you were 16, you learned how to drive because everybody was learning how to drive and you're all terrible drivers when you're 16. If you're 16 here right now, I'm just stating the obvious. But when we learn together, we actually can support one another. And so we would encourage you to, um, to engage. If you've never done fasting before, if you go on our website today, there's a whole, d- you can get a guide, and on your way out, you can get a guide too. Uh, I just believe that God wants to do something extraordinary in each of our lives this year. And that extraordinary thing that he does in our lives personally actually spills out to the community. And so we're just believing that God's going to do amazing things in our church this year. Um, I am really excited to start this series called The Chosen. Um, Okay, so I I told you the disclaimer, but I will tell you again. So for a couple of years, I know that I am late to the game on this, and I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to watch all the Jesus movies, but um, for a long time, people were like, you really need to watch this new Jesus movie, and I was like, and I'll pass on that. Partly because I was tired of watching cheesy Christian movies, now, if you love cheesy Christian movies, I praise God for you keeping the industry alive. Um, but I'm going to say I've had a lot of disappointment in my life when people say, watch this movie, it's amazing, and then I watch it, and I, I just feel that, you know you get hot ears because you're embarrassed? And like you're just embarrassed for the movie, that the movie exists. Okay, so... So people told me to watch the Jesus movie, and I was like, you know what, I'm just good reading the Gospels. I'm more of a reader than a moviegoer. It's sort of true. But anyways, my mom, who is not here today, badgered me. She's like, you have to watch it. You have to watch I was so tired of her telling me that I had to watch it that I thought, I have to watch it. I think it was during one of the times we had COVID. We decided to watch The Chosen. Okay, so now, if you haven't watched it, Please take this as a review of somebody who doesn't like Christian cheesy movies. We're sitting on the bed with our 12-year-old watching it. And literally, after each, he would like clap like this at the end of it. And he's not, he's not weird. He was just like so excited. <laughs> at, the, at the end of one of the episodes, he was like, I wonder what's going to happen. And we were like, Eli, you, you know this story. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, so apparently, Angel Studios, who made this, um, 
who, who made this film, this episodic number of episodes, is anticipating that a one billion people will watch The Chosen. I don't know about you, but like a billion people learning about Jesus is a good thing. And so if you've never watched it, I, this, is a little, this whole series is going to be a little plug um, for you to go home. It's, the first season is now on Netflix, everyone, so you don't, really, you don't have to do some fancy schmancy getting it onto your TV. Um, it, it is very well done. But after I watched it, I mean, I've read the Gospels, I, I want to say, thousands of times. I had this new awakening to like, you know when something that's old becomes new, and you're like, how have I been asleep to this for like so long? I mean, I'd read about Jesus, and Jesus had transformed my life, and I watched this series, and it just gave me a new perspective of Jesus. And usually when we come into September, I, I will teach about the Gospels, something about the Gospels, because we are people of the person. As people who follow Jesus, Jesus is our most important he is our only character. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. And so uh, usually in September, we root ourselves somewhere in the Gospels. And so I thought this would be a good way uh, to do this. And my hope and prayer for all of us, maybe you've been walking and known Jesus for a long time, my hope and prayer for you during these next four weeks is that God would breathe something new, that you would actually be reintroduced to the person of Jesus. And this is what our Christian life really is, us, is, is about. Us getting up in the morning and saying, God, would you give me more of who you are? This is why we sang this song this morning. Like, I, I want to know you deeper, God. Where you are in your spiritual journey is not where God wants to take you. He's a God that wants to take us from glory to glory. And so I'm praying that God would reinvigorate you to the person of Jesus the gospel, the good news, would again become good news. And maybe you're here and you've never, you n- haven't been walking with Jesus. Maybe you're just checking out church because it's a new year and it seems like a good thing to do. I'm praying that God would come and make himself real to you in these days. Um, so today we're going to look at the character of Mary Magdalene, who's found in all of the gospels. And before we get to it, let me just give you a little bit of background information there are a lot of Marys in the Bible, so if you have just started reading the Bible, by the way, let me just give a little plug. As a church, we're reading the Bible corporately this year, and our before we started reading the Bible corporately, our staff was doing their own kind of reading, but we finished our reading, so now we're on the corporate thing. Uh, we're through the Old Testament now, everyone, so if you haven't joined us, this would be a really good time to join us because we're into the New Testament, and it's going to be really good. Um, there's something awesome about both praying and fasting, but also reading the Word of God together. So if you're, if you're not on a Bible plan right now, I want to encourage you to join us. And you can find that Bible plan just going to our website, and there's a QR code there you can use. Um, but there are a lot of Marys in the Bible. If you're just new to reading the Bible, you get to the New Testament, and there's all these Marys, and you think it's like the Jennifer of 1980. <laughs> if your name is Jennifer here, it's because you were born somewhere in the 1980s, and there were always three Jennifers. If you were in the 2000s, Jessica was the Jennifer of that, and I'm an old one. Um, But so Mary was like a really popular name. I don't even know, like the popular names now are like weird, like they're not weird, they're just older. Because I'm going to say the name and then one of your kids is going to be named that. (laughs) So we're going to refrain from that joke. (laughs) 
just make it in your head. Um, okay, but Mary Magdalene is one of the largest characters in the New Testament, in the Gospels particularly. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, more than any other woman. There's more text about her. The term Magdalene, like why is she called Mary Magdalene, is usually, refer, is usually uh, thought of as referring to Mary's hometown of Magdala, a fishing center on the Sea of Galilee. Although I will say for all the Bible theology people out there, there's new scholarship uh, that you can read about that is very exciting, but if you don't care about it, you can just snooze for this point for a moment. But they actually say that Magdala was a city that was um, birthed about 200 years after the Gospels. So in fact, the word Magdala means tower. And there's new scholarship that says that Mary's term, Mary Magdalene, is an honorific title that would mean Mary, the tower. And so in the Gospels, you have Peter, the rock, and Mary, the tower. And there's something beautiful about the uh, inclusive nature of the gospel. What's weird about that is that first century readers wouldn't have, like that would have just seemed weird that Jesus would have honored a woman because in biblical days, um, women were not honored. But our Jesus was a Jesus, like we said last week, that saw all people from all backgrounds and said, you, I've called you, no matter who you are, male or female, no matter what background you're from, our God is a God who calls people. And so that's just, you can Google that or you can email me and I'll send you all kinds of long-winded Greek articles about that. <laughs> um, her, Mary, though, it, regardless of that scholarship, Mary's importance in the Gospels is shown by the fact that whenever they mention her, she's always the first one mentioned. And in biblical writing, whenever you see names, the, the, the importance uh, of someone and the strength of their character is always known by the um, order. A, a, every one of the female disciples, she's always mentioned first. So when we come to scripture, um, we always want to ask God, what, what do you want to teach me about this, God? And um, Generally, we'll preach expositionally here at Journey Church, so that means that we'll take a chapter and we'll go verse by verse. But it's also important that we think about the characters because the characters have been defined and developed in Scripture for a reason. And so the question becomes for all of us, what does the character of Mary Magdalene have to do with me? This is how we actually learn not just to know Scripture but to apply Scripture and have Scripture change our lives. Um, and in the, um, in the question of Mary, there's a couple of things that we're going to talk about and look at a bunch of scriptures. But the first thing we learn about Mary Magdalene is this, is that Jesus is able to transform our lives completely. The scripture from Luke chapter 8 says this, After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, so here's the funny thing about reading scripture. If you've ever read scripture before, like you, we just sort of go through the gospels and go, oh yeah, a lot of people were demon-possessed back then. Good thing I didn't live back then. And we sort of like, we like normalize it like, Mary, 
whom seven demons came out of. Oh yeah, really normal. Like, can you imagine if you met somebody here on Name Tag Sunday? Hi, how are you? Seven demons just came out of me this morning. What I want us to do is to be alive and awake to Scripture because when we're alive and awake to it, it actually causes us to ask questions of it. So God takes Mary. Now, her name is first. We talked about this, and it's interesting here because uh, in the NIV it says she's she's called Magdalene. So if we go with the New Scholarship, she's called a strong tower, a tower. So she's called the tower, but also she had seven demons before Jesus got to her. I think partly one of my greatest hopes, we talked about this last week, is that we would have people from all cultures, partly because in North America we've gone asleep to spiritual warfare, to the demonic, to like we just try to like rationalize it all the way like that. And we need people from other cultures to remind us, no, 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 no can't just rationalize everything away. There are demons and strongholds. And listen, you only need to have faced evil once to know that certainly there is a devil who is uh, prowling around, the Bible says. If you don't believe in evil, then you've lived a charmed life. (laughs) But if you've lived a normal life like most of us. You know that there are things that have happened to you that you just think, this cannot, this, this is not right. It is a sign of demonic pressure. Now, I would also say that the definition of demon is something, a spirit, it's a spirit, an evil and malevolent spirit that is stronger than humans but not stronger than God. Now, in that definition, all of us have stuff in our lives that is stronger than us, that we cannot deal with, yes? Like, I I like actually in the vernacular of the 21st century how we have begun to talk about things in our lives that are like, this is a demon in my, as a kid I was very nervous about that. As a pastor though, I I actually begin to think that that's okay because it's actually reminding us that some of the things that you are up against are demonic in nature. Like that, that demon of rage that rears its ugly head when you're on the deerfoot or crow child. <laughs> Listen, uh, the, the demons that are coming after your marriage, the things that keep you awake at night are not from God. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. If it's not good, it's not from God. And if it's not from God, I mean, you either just learn to make it like a mess of your own life. You can do that, by the way. It's not always demons. Sometimes it's just you. Uh, <laughs> but, we, but, but there is, we must acknowledge that there is demonic presence in the world. That doesn't have to make us weird. We don't have to be like looking for a demon around every corner. But I'll tell you what I do not want to do. I don't want to not acknowledge the demonic forces that have like really made a hardship of your life because in some way that degrades your pain and there are demonic forces so mary we we know from scripture was uh, absolutely tormented because if you've ever had a demonic thing it, it, you're tormented the bible tells us that they come to torment us. 
So this is not exactly like Jesus didn't go and pick like the person like, wow, you look like pretty spiritual and like you have everything together. I'm going to pick you. No, he picked somebody who had seven demons. You, I'm going to call you a strong tower now. What? This is the wild thing right out of the gate. The gospel is telling us what kind of people Jesus chooses. If you've come here today and you felt mixed up and like you don't have everything together, this is the amazing thing about the Gospels. Jesus chose you. And you know what's great is that the Gospels also knock us down a peg a little bit. If you came this morning and conversely felt like you got it all together and you're quite spiritual and you follow all the rules, Jesus chose you too. You might not be as good as you thought you were. (laughs) Silent laughter there. Um, In biblical literature, whenever you see numbers, um, numbers matter in biblical literature. They're not just a form of counting. In rational North America, like when we say four things, we actually mean one, two, three, four. In biblical literature, uh, often the number seven, always the number seven means complete. And so when the scripture tells us, and we're not sure if it was exactly seven demons, but what we do know for sure is that Jesus's Uh, healing of Mary was complete. He cast out seven evil spirits from her, which is the sign (laughs) that God came and transformed her completely. Not like a, not like a, hey, I'm gonna like take care of your sciatica, but like everything else, not so much. God is a complete God in his transformation of us. He's looking to do complete work in you. I was thinking about this a lot this week, though. So I was thinking about my own life. I'm like, not every part of my life is perfect yet. And I I just like, in this time of prayer, we know that it, it actually came to me this, that God has actually already made that complete in you. And when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you transform me? God's actually already done that work. We live in the victory that Jesus gave to us. We just have to say, Jesus, I'm here. Would you, would you complete the work? Now, now, some of us have to learn how to walk out that transformation. But God's already completely healed you. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of Jesus. When we talk about Jesus, when we... Listen, when we come to church, we're not just coming for, like, self-help, like, try to get a little bit better, try to get a little bit nicer. Maybe you won't be so mean, and maybe you won't yell at your kids so much. We're actually, we actually believe in the transforming power of the gospel, the transforming power of Jesus to come and change us completely from who we were to who he's made us to be. This is our hope. This is our great hope that we can live in that transformation. And every day when we get up in the morning, when we follow Jesus, we're saying, God, help me to live in the transformation. Help me to live in, the, in what you've already done in me. When Dave and I were pastoring in the inner city, um, I, I was trying to figure out all week what stories I would tell you of transformation. Because truthfully, I have seen God do, um, I I could never not follow God because I've seen him do so many transformations in people's lives. But uh, 
towards the end of the time that we were pastoring in Toronto, um, an older gentleman started coming to our church. And he came in one week, and he was probably in his 80s. Um, he came and sat in, uh, just sort of in, just in the middle back row. And the first week that he came, he raised his hand and said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'd never met a nicer man in my whole life. He'd like give out candy to kids. He was just like, his name was Garnet, and he was such a lovely, lovely man. I couldn't even imagine Garnet not being a lovely man. Like the trend, um, now I didn't know at the time. I just figured he was like a nice person who wanted to like know Jesus. I, I didn't know. Until a Garnet died probably about, he was in his 90s somewhere, and he went to be with Jesus. And at his funeral, his kids came and talked to us. I never met his kids before. They didn't live near him. In fact, they'd been estranged from him for a lot of years. And it wasn't until his funeral that we realized that his kids actually thought something had happened to him like, like he'd been taking some kind of medication that turned him into a different person. They were like, you only knew this garnet. You did not know this garnet. I, I, I want to tell you that the power of Jesus has the ability to transform our lives. We cannot live apathetically thinking that Jesus is just some, like, some kind of like add-on we have to our life. Some of us have behaved as though Jesus is just some kind of like extra thing we put on. But in fact, Jesus wants to transform us. I, I would say that there are some Christians, people who say, yes, I love Jesus. Jesus, come into my life. But we have not let the transforming power of God radically change us. Radically change us so that we are different. We become different because Jesus' spirit comes in us. And the way that we react to situations changes. The way that we talk to people changes. And this is the story of Mary Magdalene. That she was a changed and transformed woman. Once someone who was tortured and tormented, but now radically changed. And you know, I know all throughout this uh, congregation this morning, there's all kinds of stories of God radically transforming us and changing us. But all week long, like, I think we know, a lot of us, if you've been in church for a few months or years, you know that this is what Jesus wants to do. But I am praying that we get reawakened to this. What if God is still in the transformation business? What if he wants to awaken us again to new things about him? What if he wants to take us and transform us into new people? Okay, so here's the question today. What, what do you need God to deliver you from? What have you walked in here just being like okay with? And where do you need transformation in your life? Where are the places in your life that you need to say, Jesus, just like you completed that in Mary, how do you need to complete that in my life? Where am I not living in to the transformation that you already paid for? Jesus already paid for your transformation. It's not as though Jesus goes, you know what? Some of you I like better. I'm going to really transform you. Others of you, just hang on. You'll die soon. You can get to heaven. He doesn't have favorites. 
He does want to transform us all. So where are you deciding that you're just, you're just not living in that completeness? Okay, second thing Mary Magdalene teaches us is that total devotion is our only reasonable response to transformation. We don't know a ton about Mary, except for that she had seven demons, and we do know that she, but we do know that she followed Jesus around supporting his ministry financially. It seems as though uh, these women were the first kingdom partners. <laughs> I know people get all nervous when churches talk about money, but really that belies our own grip that money has on us. Mary, when she was transformed, she followed Jesus and um, supported him. And um, let me just read a scripture from Matthew 27. Many of the women were watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to carry, care for his needs. We're talking about Jesus at the cross here. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So Matthew 27, Jesus is being crucified. All of the disciples have run away, except for the Marys. They have stayed and watched. When Jesus transforms us, our only reasonable response is to follow him with all of our hearts for all of the time. Sometimes I wonder if we forget or we grow apathetic to what he has done in our lives. You know, all throughout scripture, God is reminding the Israelites, he's reminding people, particularly in the Old Testament, remember, 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 remember what I have done for you. I want to call you back to that today. Remember what God has done for you. Because when we remember what he has done, we can't help but give our whole life to him. Our Christianity cannot just be a mark of our national um, allegiances. Our Christianity actually has to be a heartfelt part of who we are. Sometimes we just end up giving God Sunday morning, so long as it doesn't interfere with our favorite sports team, or a few seconds before a meal. And I wonder if God is calling us back to remember what he freed us from. I was sort of recounting myself today, or this week. Where would I have been without God? Let me ask you that same question. Where would you have been without God when he rescued you? I, I, I was watching this and I thought to myself, what does it really mean to be devoted to Jesus? And I realized that at some point I was asking the wrong question. You can't be devoted to something that doesn't mean very much to you. Like, um, this happens to us all the time. We're supposed to be, uh, like, our kids are going back to school, and you really want them to be devoted students. Some of you have devoted students, praise the Lord. Um, But, like, if you aren't, like, really into math, you're probably not going to be devoted to it, right? Some of you, uh, if you're not really into, uh, if you're not really into having a clean house, you're not going to be devoted to cleaning. The truth is, um, if something doesn't mean a lot to you, no matter how much coercion someone has, no matter how much I stand up here and say, love Jesus, it won't matter. We actually have to fall in love with the person of Jesus be transformed by him. No matter how much someone guilts you into it or tries to coerce you into it, 
um, until I realize the necessity of something in my life, I won't be devoted to it. So if we were to take all the oxygen out of the room right now, we're not going to because, first of all, I don't know how, but also that would be awful. Uh, we would all, the only thing we would be thinking about is somebody, I hope somebody here is MacGyver and they can find a way for us to get out of here. Yes, it would be the only thing because it's necessary because we cannot live without it. This is how Jesus must become to us if we are to remain devoted to him. We actually have to see the necessity of his transformative power in our lives. And the only formula for that, the only formula for that is for God to actually come and encounter us, for us to recognize that without him, we don't, we don't have anything else. There, there is nothing else. And my prayer for all of us today is that we would re once again recognize the necessity of Jesus like oxygen. People like Mary Magdalene, who realized they were wrestling with demons that were bigger than themselves, understood that Jesus was necessary, that there was no other way. I want to encourage all of us. May maybe you're here and you, you feel like your uh, back's against a wall. This is your opportunity to say, Jesus you are the only thing that can rescue me, nothing else. The only way we'll know that we have given our, all of ourselves over to Jesus is our level of devotion to him. If we're devoted, it's because we've become aware of our own depravity. By the way, this is why we have communion regularly. This is why Jesus called us to have communion, so that we recognize what Jesus has done for us. We recognize the necessity of his sacrifice for us. And this Wednesday, just let me give a little plug. This Wednesday, we're going to start, um, unusually, the first Wednesday of every month, uh, we're going to have a, what we're calling Revive Nights. We're going to take time to remember what Jesus did for us. We're going to have extended worship. We're going to be moving communion from Sunday mornings to Wednesday nights. I want to encourage you to come, to come on Wednesday night. We're going to have child care for those of you with children, and we won't keep you out so that your children can't go to school the next day. But I, I really want to encourage you to come because it is when we are in the presence of God that we remember what he has done for us. The only time you're in the presence of God is on Sunday for the three songs that we sing. It's not enough because we're all short memory people. You can't, I'm going to ask you this right now. What would you eat for breakfast yesterday morning? You can't remember. <laughs> you can't remember because we're short. We have, we have short memories. What did you eat for dinner last Tuesday night? Hmm. When was the last, yeah, no, no, not you particularly. <laughs> It's not a call and response, just a, although if you do remember, you could shout it out because we'll come to you for memory lessons. We usually don't remember things very well, though, which is why we got to be in the Word of God every day. It's why every time we get a chance to gather, we need to gather because it reminds us. It reminds us. Hey, I remember what God did in your life. Your presence matters. Did you know that? Because when I look down at you, I remember what God did in your life. I remember how God restored your marriage. I remember how God got you back on track, and it causes me to remember too. This is why we do. You, you can't be devoted to something you, you don't think is necessary. We got to get in a place where we actually, 
we actually are reminded that Jesus is like heir to us. So have I understood my absolute need for Jesus? And are there parts of my life that I'm holding back? Are there parts of your life that you've said to God, you can come this far, but you can't come this far. I don't want you like encroaching on my, we don't say this out loud, but our lives tell that story. The last thing is this, Jesus uses transformation to bring purpose to our lives. So God not only brings transformation so that we can live in the abundant life he promises, but he also brings purpose to us. According to scripture, Mary Magdalene, the lady tormented by seven spirits, was the first person to to witness the risen Jesus. In John 20, Mary goes to the tomb to attend to Jesus' body, but then finds him not in the tomb, but risen. And John 20, verse 17 says, Jesus says, do not hold on to me. He's talking to Mary. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. This is a beautiful interaction. Jesus is telling Mary, it's not just my Father, it's your Father too. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had these things to say to her. Okay, now, when we read this, we sort of miss it in English, and we miss it in the 21st century, but a few things about this. Mary's account of the resurrection really gives credibility to the story of the resurrection. So in biblical times, a woman's testimony counted for nothing. Okay, like if you were a woman and you saw a crime happen, and then you went to like the courts and said, hey, I saw this happen, they don't care, because you're a woman. It, it actually was enshrined in their laws that women's testimony didn't matter. Now, if the biblical resurrection story was just a made-up story, like John just wrote it down as, do you know he, what he wouldn't have used? Mary. He wouldn't have said like, and now everybody, the person who first saw Jesus was a woman. That didn't even make sense. This only makes sense if it was a real story that actually happened. Some of you are wondering here today, you're here today and you're not like sure about God because you're not sure like, can I rationally, does this like rationally make sense? Things like this matter. But God didn't just free Mary so that she could have like goosebumps, sing her favorite song every now and again at church, and be a fairly nice person. He used her as the first evangelist to bring the gospel to the world. Mary brought it to the disciples. The disciples carried it all over the world. There is this amazing thing that God does. When we give him our everything, he gives us purpose. Some of you are here and you've, you've actually seen God transform your life and you're like, I just don't know now what to do. I believe God wants to bring you purpose. I believe that this is going to be a year of purpose for you. That God's going to actually show up in your life. And he's actually going to show you exactly where to go and what you're to do. Some of you are in university right now and you're on the cusp of like following what God wants for your life. I believe that God's going to give you direction. He's going to give you strength. He's going to show you where to go and what to do. And those of us that are well beyond university years, God is not done with you. He still gives us direction. He still gives us purpose. He does not come into our life and transform us so that for no reason, he gives purpose to it. When we give our lives to Jesus, he doesn't just transform us so that we live small little lives. For ourselves. 
He wants us to lay down a legacy that will outlive us. Sometimes living, with, um, living our lives with God's purpose in mind takes us out of our comfort zones. This might mean that we'll have to say things and do things that we might never have done in our own strength. But living a life that matters requires that we are obsessed with being close to Jesus rather than just our own comfort. And this is for all of us. This is not just for people that are like called to full-time ministry or like, all of us, God has a purpose. I, I'm so glad we sang that song that God has good plans for us today because he does have good plans. But sometimes when I'm singing that song, I like get caught up in like, I'm really thinking about like, he's got good plans, like a new car for me because my muffler's <laughs> gone. <laughs> he's got good plans for me, like softness and everything being easy because aren't we as a society obsessed with things being easy? Like Staples made a button about that. <laughs> Easy is not always synonymous with God's good plans for you, but he most certainly has good plans for you. It might mean that you need to make difficult decisions. It might mean that you need to square your shoulders back and say like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but I am going to do it. Listen, my own story is that I am, I, I couldn't even call the pizza delivery guy. I didn't, in the 80s, when everybody answered the phone, I was the person in my house that would not answer the phone because I was afraid a karate teacher was calling me from 20 years ago. This is not a lie. I can't believe, actually, that I get up and talk to you guys every Sunday morning. It's wild to me. Wild. But God moves us out of our comfort zones so that we live with purpose, with the purpose he has for us. Okay, we're going to watch this clip now from The Chosen. And as we're watching it, I want you to think about, God, what would Mary Magdalene's life, what does this have to do with me? What are you calling me to? Where do you want to transform me? And I want you to see in this moment that our Jesus is a God who sees you right where you are. He sees all of your pain. He sees all of the mistakes you've made. And yet he still calls you to himself. Let's watch the clip. And this is the God that calls us today, who calls us by name. He knows how you were formed. Scripture tells us that he knows that we are just dust. He knows how you are weak. He knows how you battle those demons at night. And yet he still calls you by name. He knows the times that you have pushed him away. Or you said, don't, I don't need you, I don't want you. And yet he still calls us, calls us to himself. All over the place tonight, to this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would bow your heads for a moment. This Jesus who calls you by name, calls to you today, and simply says, will you say yes to me? With all of your foibles, with all of your 
problems, with all of the ways that you have disappointed him. He asks if you will say yes. Right in this moment, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to say yes to him. I'm going to ask you just to say, Jesus, today I'm making my life, I'm giving my life to you. I recognize my need of you. I'm just going to ask that we would all pray this prayer this morning. For the sake of the person on your left and your right. So can we pray this together? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus who knows me, who calls me by name, who died on the cross for my sins. I accept you, Jesus, into my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we, we believe that that is saying yes to Jesus. And it's just the first step in your journey with Jesus, but it's a good one. Others of us are here, listen, and we've said yes to Jesus, but we have not let him transform us. We look at that seven completion and, you know, there are parts that I, that I have held back from Jesus. Today, I want to pray for all of us. Can we stand all across the place? you're here today and you would say, Jess, there are parts of my life that I have not given control over to Jesus. I'm holding back. There are parts of me that I'm holding back. Today in this moment, as Abel and the band lead us, would you just, would you just do this? Would you just say, Jesus, I'm giving all of myself to you. Would you transform me? Continue to transform me. Make me new. May I live into the transformation that you already died for. Others of us are here, and we've, we've actually been transformed. But I'm praying that God is going to bring purpose to your life, supernatural purpose, that you're going to get up in the morning and say, God, I, I, whatever you have in store for me today, God, I want to live into your purposes. I don't want to just live like somebody that's got fire insurance. I want to live into the purposes of God for my day. And this is how we actually See transformation come to cities when God's people say, yes, God, I'm going to live for your purposes. Even if it's out of the norm, even if it's out of my comfort zone, I'm going to live for your purposes. So God, for your people today, would you give us courage to say yes to all of you? Would all of us be to all of you? And God, would that transformation, God, uh, be a, a a lamp unto our feet, light unto our path. May we know where to go, what to do. I pray that you'd bring supernatural purpose to every person in this room today. May we not live just small lives, but God, may we live expansive lives for the glory and the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. The band's going to lead us. Would you just worship with us this morning?